Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything from the streets to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers and creators. As a frequent traveler, I'm always looking for great bags and DB meets a lot of my needs. We at Immigrantly are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners, our Immigrantly listeners, 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10. And I repeat, POD10. Or going to the link in our show notes, DB, it's time to move on, time to get going. I don't want to have to worry about my collarbone showing too much or wearing something that's not below the knee or, you know, like there were so many things about myself that were scrutinized, like truly from head to toe, um, about what I like to do, who I loved, how I dressed, um, how I shaved my head or just everything was scrutinized. So it was very much like, I'm openly speaking about this. Whatever y'all choose, I'm also choosing because I just want to make this as easy for myself to continue being my, to be myself. This is Adia Khan, and you are listening to Immigrantly. Our today's guest, Marla Louis Saint, had grown up in a strict Jehovah's Witness household in New York. With a knack for and high grades in STEM programs, you probably wouldn't believe this is her. I'm gonna take a deep gonna hold my head up, gonna pull my shoulders back, and look you straight in the eye. I'm gonna flirt with somebody. In 2015, Marla sung this song and won at the National High School Musical Theatre Awards. Since, she has been a performer on the national tour for Beautiful, the Carol King Musical, a model in New York Fashion Week, and the co-founder of an activist organization, Claim Our Space Now. What a multi-hyphen talent we have here today, right? I am excited to share this episode where you'll hear Marla and I meet in studio to talk about her faith and radicalization. Mid-episode, our associate producer Kylie reunites with Marla as they had not seen each other since graduating high school. Thank you for being on my show, Marla. I am so excited. It's such a pleasure to be able to share my story like this. So thank you. And I have so many questions. Our listeners will hear clips from your talk with Kylie in a bit. Um, but I am really looking forward to our conversation based off of that. Because the entire conversation was so inspiring. And there are so many parts where I could, in a way, 
relate to what you were saying, and we will delve into it. I'm but, ready. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do that, I want to start with something that's at the center of this conversation. Sure. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the religion, could you break down the core beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses? Correct. Yes. yes. And actually, this is the first time I'll be able to get on and, and like speak about this in a public way because um, oh. as part of those core um, values, anybody that speaks out against or less against and more just like expands on the faith once they have left, um, they are considered apostates. So oh. like there's like a very, the, high, the stakes are super high, but I am a truth teller <laughs> um, and I, I truly believe that for well, for my own healing and for people to know and understand what um, proselytization can can do, um, mm. the pro- like propaganda, there there are many different stipulations and, and obviously consequences that come from that in religions that are founded by white people, white men. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so yeah, I'll start from the beginning. I one of the core beliefs is like um, just like most people believe in heaven and hell, mm. uh, less less so stressed and actually debunked in the Bible because they use the New World Translation, mm. um, and so it is biblical. It's a sect of Christianity, and their belief is that on there is earthly desires and heavenly desires. If you are a good person, um, you have the possibility to live everlasting life on Earth. Mm. I remember like as a kid, it was very very like. Uh, elusive and imagine like the imagination was just flowing because yeah. a lot of the publications had illustrations of like kids living with cheetahs and like I loved animals and nature as a kid and I still am very much a free spirit baby yeah. <laughs> in many ways like anytime I'm out in nature I'm like ah this is the paradise that like can be replicated or sometimes does bring back some memories of when I was a kid and like thinking yeah. of that that promise um, and so there are also folks that are like leaders within the, the church or mm-hmm. They're called elders, um, reserved for men only, I should also say. So the patriarchy is very much alive. Um, <laughs> and uh, some elders and other people that are referenced throughout the Bible. So you, you think of Noah, you think of Abel. A lot of folks that are mentioned mm-hmm. with, throughout the biblical um, traditions uh, would also have like heavenly promises. So mm-hmm. they might be amongst the 144,000, very specific number, um, <laughs> that are um, destined for being up in heaven, ruling with Jesus Christ in the new world. So mm-hmm. think essentially New World Order, not to say any, I know that there are other things in relation to that, but yeah. the the idea with Jehovah's Witnesses is that it's going to be a renewed earth once um, after the you know Armageddon, a, a lot mm-hmm. of things that are obviously perpetuated through Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it like expands upon that and also um, inserts something that's more direct with the king's or um, what's it called new world translation it's been Mm. a minute since i've been speaking on this so thank you for bearing with me um but yeah so those are the main ideas there and then of course uh in trying to be as aligned with the bible as a text as possible they realized like over time through their their founding that Mm. um no one in the bible celebrated their birthday it was actually like a pagan tradition um there were like biblical stories in that referenced birthdays and like something bad always happened like somebody's head got cut off or like 
like mm. I, I'm just like doing a good summary as best yeah. I can. <laughs> um, but like birthdays, Christmas, um, Halloween was obviously uh, very tied to like demonic practices. Mm. So no Halloween as a kid, Thanksgiving, anything that was like a traditional or a holiday that's observed in the States or honestly around the world was like canceled out. And the only thing that was celebrated was the memorial of Jesus's death, which happens around Easter. Mm. Um, and so that's the celebration or the commemoration that um, Jehovah's Witnesses gather mm. all around the world too on the same day based off of like the lunar it, it, a whole bunch of stuff that they mm. put in there um, and so that that was the tradition that I was raised with from when my mom entered the faith when she was when I was four years old so I, that was the last birthday I celebrated <laughs> so while I want yeah. to ask you what was the trigger like do you know why your mom entered the faith because I was going to ask you if this faith has been in your family mm-hmm. for generations or is it something new? It's a new tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, and actually it is tied to my immigration story and my mother's immigration mm-hmm. story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the story goes uh, that I was flying in a helicopter with my godfather um, mm-hmm. when I was eight months old to come and meet my father as well. Okay. And so my father, my grandmother on my dad's side were also already here. Most of the family on my maternal side as, as well was already here mm. um, legally, by the way. Mm. But I came undocumented through this. Again, I always envisioned myself like peace sign with like little baby shades <laughs> in a helicopter. <laughs> I love it. And so I, I was here and the only person that was left was my mother in Haiti. Mm. And so she wasn't practicing any faith per se. Um, she was raised in what I believe was a, um, I mean, I, I know that there are several Christian sects with sects. Mm within Haiti. Mm -hmm. So it might have been um, Baptist. It might have been, I'm sure, plenty. And there were Jehovah's Witnesses as well. And so she was preached to before in Haiti, but never really took it seriously. I know she had studied from from what she had told me, but she made uh, a prayer to whatever God she Mm -hmm. would listen to her um, and said that however is or however you present yourself if i make it to the states that's how i'll serve you and who's Ah. preaching every day jehovah's witnesses so of course (laughs) um that felt like it was an accomplishment of that prayer and so um she felt as though god was speaking to her through jehovah's witnesses and their practices in order to bring her in and find spirituality through jehovah's witnesses Mm. and so like it was essentially a, a practical way of or the accomplishment of her coming to the states finally Mm. um and that's how god presented herself to her or you know her because god Mm. is a woman to me um (laughs) and yeah so like that's that's how we started she started studying my father was like not really keen with it he was also working day in and day out so before that Mm -hmm. was your father affiliated with any religion any organized religion Mm -hmm. he wasn't Um, my mother was the the one who had, uh, started the the movement. Them. Yes, ah. <laughs> the movement within the family, um, and yeah. So she started studying with a sister, actually the same sister who um, it. We called her my aunt, obviously, because a lot of familial ties and Haitian yeah. uh, culture, everyone's titi and tonton. Um, <laughs> so it, she she started preaching with her maybe like over a year or two. And my mom really started taking it more seriously. It was like, hey, to my father, I'd love to raise the kids this way because a lot of principles like respecting your elders. Uh, it was a great um, a great way of like really teaching us values mm-hmm. and how to care for one's neighbor. A lot of things that obviously are associated with Christianity 
identity as well and just like being a good person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she thought that it was the best decision for the family. I'm sure they had plenty of conversations and he started studying as well because he thought that it might have been a great way of just like raising us as a, a unit um, mm. and didn't want to combat or have any uh, tension. tension, of course. Yeah. So um, shout out to him again. I just, yeah. <laughs> and I was going to ask you this. Does he believe strongly in the religion itself and its core beliefs? Mm -hmm. Or do you think your transition out of religion has impacted his religious beliefs as well? Well, I... I will honestly leave that up to him. I'm going to decline to comment because I don't want to put him in any, because uh, he listens to everything that I do. <laughs> so, Dad, I'm going to let you speak for yourself here. Yeah. But from what I know, I know that I've influenced him in several ways. Mm. I, just the same way that I had started a nonprofit and started a change-making collective. Mm. He did the same in Haiti. Um, it's called Flores Back. So, like, they yeah. do initiatives. And so, like, honestly, that's pretty frowned upon within the faith so like he oh. has taken upon himself to continue yeah. to foster change because part of those principles as witnesses is that you're not to engage civically uh, within activism within most humanitarian efforts because Jesus is going to come and save everything. Mm. This is such an important point Marla and mm -hmm. before we delve into it I want us to tune in to your amazing conversation with Kylie um, reunion of sorts right mm -hmm. and then we'll come back to this question. Hey folks, it's Kylie. When I heard about our theme for this season, I immediately thought about Marla. I was so eager to have her on that I trekked from Bed-Stuy all the way to Washington Heights just to meet her in person. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, Do I need to clap too? No, I, th I think it should have gotten okay. there, right? Marla and I haven't seen each other in about six years, but with the help of social media, it really hasn't felt that distant. <sighs> Wait, this is why school, school was so long ago. So School was so long ago. I use calculators now. <laughs> <laughs> when we met up, we sat down to talk about chosen family, turning points during our high school experiences together, and being inherently political as black women in society. I'm also gonna pop in here and say that we filmed outside in New York City, and you'll probably hear that. So be warned. Wait for this. Mm -hmm. New York, New York. <laughs> a hell of a town. <laughs> I hope everybody's okay. The FDNY we stand. NYPD though. Okay. Nah, nah, nah. So at the time of entering high school, mm -hmm. you were a practicing Jehovah's Witness at the time. That is correct. And throughout high school as well. Yes. So I'll also say that my heart wasn't in it, even mm -hmm. as I came into um, at to Beacon, because at 13, well, I must have been at Beacon, right? 13, maybe yeah, freshman 13, year. 13, 14, right, yeah. Um, I got baptized, um, and that happened because my sister, who was eight at the time, felt like she was ready. And I was like, okay, I was raised here in this this congregation. If Kate gets baptized before I do, like, oh gosh, like <laughs> I'll never hear the end of it. And so I studied up for the questions that they had, like leading up to, and I thought that it would have made my life easier by <laughs> um, by being baptized, and maybe they wouldn't ask me about my mm -hmm. my choices and da da da. But it actually made the the separation from the church that much harder because as a practicing, I was a sister of the congregation um, and because it's a worldwide organization as well, 
there's like bureaucracy, bureaucratic things that have to happen, like removing my name from databases and oh. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, like the uh, the disfellowship that happens in within the family. In my family, my mother and my sister have chosen to completely cut me out. And like my dad and my grandma have, have always been by my side and they've gotten scrutinized for it. Even me living, like after, you know, the pandemic <laughs> had hit, I had moved in, or actually it was shortly before in December, um, I was living with her when I was doing the show, The Visitor at the Public, which I'm excited for it to come back. Um, and since living with her, like she has gotten all kinds of questions from people. Like she hasn't been able to invite or she she has an open door policy. So, okay. of course, that kind of had put me in a position where I was like, OK, just like take deep breaths. <laughs> They're not going to talk to you. And you just got to walk into the kitchen and walk back and do your work for Co-Space or do your work for class at the time, too. Right. Um, so that that inner inner torment was something that I experienced through my life too because like I had to live a double life triple life even Mm -hmm. um I would carry clothes in my backpack to change in (laughs) in my locker that that was the first time I had had a locker at Beacon um so honey that was my changing station yes um I'd go to school because like um, dressing modestly like nothing um above the knee Mm -hmm. your clavicle like a, a lot of a lot of things that of course again were written vaguely so that it, it also depends on the culture too. So like a Jehovah's Witness in India might have different clothing uh, restrictions than right. somebody here in America. It's all would. up to interpretation mm-hmm. of your environment. Yes. But of course that, that caused all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of issues uh, growing up in mm-hmm. a very, very, the space called New York. <laughs> yeah. So in talking about the restrictions of her faith and how it interacted with her high school experience, I was reminded of the prom that our friends threw for Marla because she could not attend ours. Oh I God. found these pictures recently. I think they're on Facebook. I'm sure they and, are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I remember, I think that was the first time I had heard from you that you were a Jehovah's Witness mm. because I had asked you like, oh, like, what are you wearing to yeah, prom? Yeah, because I certainly and you were wasn't like, preaching. I was no. not preaching in these halls like they wanted me to. <laughs> they were like, oh, like, you bringing you any pamphlets? No. <laughs> Girl. And you were like, oh, I'm not going to prom. And I was like, what? (laughs) Again, never written down, but there were, just by associating with secular people, people of the world is how they would would phrase it, that any opportunity that you should be with like sisters and brothers of the congregation to not like get influenced by worldly desires and whatever that is, prom, obviously, you, you see the movies like, People lose their virginity and like they're drinking and the after prom and blah, blah, blah. so I had tried asking my my parents because I was like, well, you guys can like pick me up and like w- we can work something out so that you guys mm-hmm. don't have to be so worried about my association of friends. And it was like a hard no from 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 both of them actually. Uh, my dad was like more like, well, let's let's talk about it. And my mom was very uh, very adamant about me not going. So right um, when my friends surprised me with this. Fucking- Oh my gosh. It was so the, cute. Yeah. Cute. And like also my first understanding of chosen family for the first time too. True. Um, yeah. Because like from BDAT to, to like the folks outside of to like mm-hmm. people I had class with really feeling the love and support and that joy the I'll never forget that, that the, the choreography. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so like speaking of chosen family, I feel like Mm-hmm. theater has a lot of shows yes. in family. I yes. mean, like when you are in a production or when you are in an improv troupe, like the people mm-hmm. that you work with, you're with them all the time. You have to become really comfortable with them in order to perform. Mm-hmm. What I understood is that it kind of surprised you even. 
yes. that the arts was going to be something that you were going mm-hmm. to be in. Yeah. So I had been exposed to theater for like a couple times throughout my life because in classes, like I was singing and like my teachers had caught on to like my artistic abilities pretty early on. I'll never forget my music teacher being like, okay, so we're going to do Once on this Island next year. And I know that you're from Haiti. So like this, this is going to work out. This is perfect. Yeah. And when I told my parents that because of the the Vodun and um, uh, other spiritual influences, like they had said that I was not able to take, uh, take part in the show. Um, so then I hadn't touched theater after that. I was like, well, it seems like everything that is, um, cause I also wasn't allowed to like sing Halloween songs in class and a, uh, a lot of, a lot of like celebrations that, mm-hmm. um, witnesses never part, didn't partake in, had an influence on my ability to even do the art. So in, after the freshman rotation, I had been able to, to work with Joe and like, uh, Joe Samato, who was, or is still, um, the theater instructor over at Beacon and other, other like older students, uh, within who were like advising and, and seeing how classes would take, take part. Cause it was a family, like, uh, classes would be happening and the office was open to all, like, as long yeah. as you were quiet in the back room and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a safe space for everybody. So, um, people had saw me like <laughs> get in front of the class and like teach people how to tap dance. And they were like, she got some gall. Um, <laughs> and so I remember getting an email personally from Joe um, because she was like, Hey, so we're, uh, we do theater or not theater, but choir throughout the year. And I'd love for you to audition for next year. And like this, this email came in maybe just before the summer had come in mm-hmm. or come around. Um, and I was like, oh, oh my God, like a personal uh, like invitation. Um, invitation to audition. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. And so I auditioned, uh, got and, and was around people who I had known, like um, Mickey and folks that I had known from from middle school. Uh, so like I was it was like the, the most fun time and also my first choice in after school outside of my family's jurisdiction, too. But uh, for choir to be like that first entry point. And then I wasn't able to do it anymore. Like I was given a solo in God's Love Nub- or to sing a song from Aida, God's Love Nubia. And because of the plural gods, I wasn't able to do that solo anymore. Um, I had to pass it off to Chloe. Shout out to Chloe for <laughs> <laughs> Chloe King for taking on that that role. It was such a like as I'm thinking about it. Take me in my dreams recurring. Like Oh, <laughs> um, but I wasn't able to do it. And like, I, it felt like every time I wanted to do art, it was slammed um, again for that se- same like secular thing. Right. Um, the the names of former Jehovah's Witnesses were always brought up like the Jackson five and Michael Jackson. They were like, do you really want to be like Michael Jackson? I was like, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Serena Williams, like a lot of the, the way in family. So many oh, folks. Whoa. Um, I'm learning a I lot have, right now. Yeah, yeah, I can, <laughs> yeah. um, there, there are more that I, I can't think of right now even like I'm remembering how my race my heart was racing like every every single night that we did the show um but the support again that chosen family that was backstage um folks that I'm still talking to like Stella um who is uh, contributing to Clear My Space now with their sustainable design wear and like the the ways that the the pathways have converged time and time again absolutely like, always um even as we we grow out however many years we are out of high school, um, we find those intersections, like right now. I wanted to segue into your experience in Carolina change a little bit more. And I guess (laughs) connecting it to, I mean, how your parents had reacted to the other shows that you Mm -hmm. were going to be in. What was the reaction in Carolina change? Um, They loved it. And I should also say there was a lot of shadow work happening from Joe's end because she was mm-hmm. like, Marla has to do this show. 
um, and had walked um, walked my mom through it and was like, this is this is where the show is placed, like all the intentions, the historical significance, everything, uh, dramaturgy wise. So after starring in our high school's production of Caroline or Change, Marla went on to win the National High School Musical Theater Awards, also known as the Jimmies. And then a couple of years after that, she was a performer on the national tour for Beautiful, the Carol King musical. During our interview, she talked about how much she appreciated the experiences she got on tour. It was finally her opportunity to get out and do the things that she kind of missed in high school. Unfortunately, seeing other parts of the country also led to experiences of inequality she had never experienced in New York City. When I went to Toledo, I had a, like a flu type thing. I don't know if it was a flu or a cold, whatever, but I went in to get NyQuil, like covered myself up so that I didn't like pass anything. Um, and like I was followed by four different like uh, uh, workers there asking me if I needed help. Um, to the point where I got to self-checkout and they were like, hey, do you want to, I was like, I'm fine. I can carry on about my business. As Marla shared stories of blatant racism she experienced on the road, it reminded me of something we did together in high school. The night it was nationally reported that Michael Brown was shot by a police officer, I texted Marla to help me with a peaceful protest to put together at our school. We brought poster paper, pens, and tape to the hallway of outside of the theater department and invited our classmates to sign. If you look up Beacon for Brown on Instagram right now, you'll actually see it still posted. And I mean, it's a small thing, but it was huge for us to do. For me, that was my first instance of any sort of activism. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember reaching out to you because I was like, I think Marla is like the only other black person I really know at the school. Mm -hmm. Ain't that sad? Isn't that crazy? We really went to anyway, but yes. I've been <laughs> in predominantly white spaces my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's just like Big same. Where are they? Mm -hmm. Um But I feel like was that one of your first activism experiences it was. too? Um and actually activism is something that is not uh or is one of those things that Joe's witnesses aren't allowed to partake in. Um, having any kind of civic engagement because we're, we're they're waiting for for Jesus to come and change everything. So why campaign or why fight for things that are temporary or temporal? Oh, wow. um, mm -hmm. So I remember going to my first protest, and of course the camera had panned to me on <laughs> national news. So um, I was called into the room with the elders, which was a frequent frequent thing, whether it was for the arts or just speaking out. Um, I remember like tweeting about Donald Trump around that time. LOL, whatever, <laughs> whatever time that was, 2015, because uh, he was. Oh God, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But you know what happened anyway. <laughs> um, and. So so like activism was something that I knew I wasn't supposed to partake in, right. but art is my protest. And it, supplementing that with knowledge that I've gotten from, uh, from Fordham. Like I remember walking in and being like, intersectionality, this is intriguing. How did I not know about this? Oh my God. No, I um, didn't know what intersectionality was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I was intersectional. Right. All of these things. I, I am inherently political. Exactly. Just by walking. Isn't that? Oh my God. <laughs> I am a topic. I am something to be debated on. I actually have a distinct memory of asking the art teacher, who I will mm -hmm. not name, um, mm -hmm. to come down and just like see it right. because we were going around to like everyone just being like, mm -hmm. come participate. Yeah. And she told me that she could not participate because she didn't want to get in trouble. I know. 
Not my eyebrows. I, I, <laughs> I wish y'all could see my reaction. <laughs> I, um, and I remember that so distinctly. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, no, of course. And you, you know when you have memories that stick with you and you have no idea why? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just remember that now and I'm like, oh. Yeah. And this is, Who this the is an extreme the feminist woman, you yeah, know? Yeah. White feminist, mm-hmm. I know A now. Because hmm. I remember she, she put on, like, I don't know, there were, like, festivals supporting women and shit. Mm-hmm. And then she couldn't, she couldn't even walk down the stairs to come see this wall Trouble. because of that. Isn't that insane? Grown the thing woman? is, like, she was like, I don't want to get in trouble. It's political, whatever. Sorry. Being black is political, man. Sorry, That's this is crazy. I do for it me. unapologetically. Y'all gonna see this. Y'all but I think. Black, <laughs> queer <laughs> ass woman. Literally. Okay. Us. But I guess I'm just wondering how much your, your childhood experiences, mm-hmm. including high school, have gone into the work that you're doing now. And the things that you are manifesting to see in the future with mm-hmm. the work that you're doing. Well, I think I, the connection is clear in um, pushing through what society or society or in my microcosm of me trying to find my way and find my my voice in uh, as a Jehovah's Witness. And I couldn't mm-hmm. because I had to conform to the the uh, you, and you know, I've. tend to dress (laughs) i like to make statements uh fashion statements and i couldn't make them uh as a witness i couldn't Mm -hmm. speak uh, freely i couldn't think certain ways i couldn't love who i wanted to love um i I had to marry a jehovah's witness man and i was like but i like women too (laughs) and actually i like a trans person but i don't even know how to quantify or like completely understand what that means Uh, and i know that me and because this fight is still happening internally in in finding my own uh space literally physically an apartment of my own to work through and do this healing um in a real way after living with living with the same family that has not accepted my truth the truth that i want everybody to accept is that black people should be claiming space unapologetically we were born here we have we were removed from (laughs) forcefully and forcibly from our homeland and we have a diaspora around the world if everybody everybody that's black would wake up too because it's the work that i'm doing is less about like trying to galvanize white people because honestly that's been happening for hundreds of years and i I know myself and a lot of organizers are exhausted from that. Absolutely. And if they, if y'all don't want to wake up, that's up to y'all. But in the meantime, I'm going to make sure that my people understand their true power, their innate royalty, their, <laughs> their excellence, their brilliance. I feel like if everybody, we have clearly with the colonization of education, um, the white man is the victor. And so that promise that, that I hold close to my heart is that black people will be free. I fight until I see that in my, I know it's probably not going to be in my lifetime, but I will set the, set the motion forward so that we can continue and have a, a coalition because it's not going to take one person or one organization. It's going to be um, happening in different pods and, and spaces all, all at the same time until it catches, catches on. I've noticed that the universe just does its thing. Like I, I've always um, committed to like, if it's my craft or, um, 
like I said, choosing myself, like that's, that's really where, where the baseline is, um, and continues. And because in choosing myself, I always like to choose others. So like, it's a cute little cycle of like, I'm <laughs> bettering myself so that I can continue to show up mm-hmm. and fight for liberation in the ways that I know how through my art and also using my voice, um, to, to make sure that people don't tolerate the BS, mm-hmm. like think critically, exactly. whatever, whatever is being presented to you, honey, think about it <laughs> because I, I blanketly accepted the faith from mm-hmm. my family. Um, my, I'm sure my mom, who was the first to study blanketly accepted it too, because it made sense to her. Right. And that's, that's why proselytizing is a thing. It's like, here's this Bible. You'll be saved. Change your life. Yeah. So that, that's my long winding me trying to figure out where those connections are, but they're, um, they're several. And I, I think just leaning into the reeducation is the one I will end with for now. <laughs> we need to get coffee more because I am learning so much and I feel empowered mm-hmm. speaking hey to oh, you. Hey, yo, yes. Say no to the BS, honey. Oh, yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. Thank you so much for talking of to course, me. Of course, yes. Thanks, Kylie. Based on this conversation, the first thing that I noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, from your conversation, it seems that you did not leave the religion per se. The religion pushed you out in a way because of the work that you wanted to do, whether mm-hmm. it's activism or whether it's just enjoying basic things, right? Everyday things in life. You were not allowed to do that. How do you see that? Do you think, in a way, religion pushed you out? I'd say it was like a, a struggle for... Um, self-determination mm-hmm. in a way it, it was I, to tell you the story of how um, I walked in to the there was a meeting so there was always a meeting with the elders mm-hmm. um, whether it was my choice of, of shows to take part in um, in mm-hmm. school or um, I might have tweeted something about Donald Trump and I wasn't supposed to have a say in politics or something that had always come up and the final meeting was between the time where I had come back for a break um, on tour and I was there were two months in between, so I I had left uh, Cleveland, Ohio, came back to NYC, um, and was like in this like transient state of like okay, I'm back with my family, but I've already seen like plenty of these United States of America, and I'm doing what I love, and I my heart was never really in it, and I think mm-hmm. and I know my my mom definitely knew that, everybody in the family knew that I probably wasn't going to be in it for the the long haul, but they still very much had faith that maybe I'd come around and change uh, change something even after I got baptized and um, and stuff and it was also something that I'd been uh, vocal about but not to other people within the faith so right. like it, it felt like a shock to most people like the brothers mm-hmm. and sisters in the congregation but my family definitely saw this coming my sister my younger sister who's in the faith even said that the day I came back from the meeting with the elders it was kind of like a mutual agreement where I was like all right so here's what I did on tour hmm. um, I know that you guys have been like looking up what I'm doing because I post everything that I do on online and I'm not afraid about it. Um, but I did like a Christmas concert, which I, I mentioned um, Christmas wasn't celebrated. So in in partaking in that event, it was already like so much. Um, it, it, the audience, my hands are doing jazz hands now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like that had posed an issue. And then like I had been shaving my head to I had always been leaning or always felt very androgynous. Like I, I like just just transient um, uh, between like what is presented as masculine, feminine. Right. Like I, I love it. 
I'm I'm gonna be myself today. Like yeah. I might be pulling up in a frilly dress, or I'm gonna wear my very baggy yeah. like '90s era um, pants. So like that confused them too. I remember mm-hmm. I'll never forget the most invasive question. They were like, "So have you started see- seeing women?" Um, because mm-hmm. your hair suggests that. And I was like, my hair, su- what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> with my sexual preferences, like granted, yes, I was very queer at the time and still um, not at the time, but that was when I was still finding my, um, like who I loved yeah. and figuring out what um, my identity outside mm-hmm. of the faith. Um, and tour definitely helped me with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, like they, they asked if on tour I was having orgies because they, you know, like they had whatever, uh, thing in their mind off of mm. media and what they present you know sex drug and rock and roll mm. that's that's essentially what they what they have in their mind and so that's what the meeting felt like very much like a question and answer like uh investigation essentially uh. <laughs> um but i i took it with stride because i was like yeah i'm i'm fine like i mentioned at the very top of this i'm a truth teller i'm gonna tell it like it is uh. i'm not afraid of y'all <laughs> um and actually however this pans out whether you guys decide to keep me in here or i leave amicably like it, it it depends on how they they have to kick you out so or kick you out um, in quotes. So if I am found to be doing things that are in conflict with the principles of Jehovah's Witnesses, they, I I would be considered disfellowship, which is what happened. And so like the elders, uh, after our discussion, they had me step out of the room, had their own discussion, and then brought me back in and were like, okay, so we've come to a consensus. You're being disfellowshipped. If you're coming to the Kingdom Hall, you have to sit in the very back or like away from everybody. Ostracization is like very much a part of that uh, cancel culture within a religion. So it was very much like, I'm openly speaking about this. Whatever y'all choose, I'm also choosing because I just want to make this as easy for myself to continue being my to be myself. I don't want to have to worry about my collarbone showing too much or wearing something that's not below the knee or, you know, like there were so many things about myself that were scrutinized, like truly from head to toe mm-hmm. um, about what I like to do, who I loved how I dressed, um, how I shut, shaved my head, mm-hmm. or just everything was scrutinized. And so I felt an immense sense of liberation afterwards. Like, I, I cried immediately, but it wasn't because of... Um, it, not in front of them. Yeah, no, I'm too proud for that. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't in front of them. How did you feel? Like, what was that moment like? I happen to have a video of it on my mm-hmm. phone. Um, I look very different, too. I Like, I walked out into the hall, took a moment... And like saw the space where I was like raised in, um, and like the the halls that I walked through, the seats that um, you know would come to every Wednesday and Sunday for two mm-hmm. and a half hours, like times where I just sit and uh, think about homework because I definitely wasn't fully present when I really started understanding like, hey, all my friends are gay because I do musical theater, and you guys are speaking ill of their life choice yeah. in quotes again. It was so liberating to the point where I. Was I wasn't sobbing, but like tears were just rushing down my mm. face. I'm sorry, I'm like choking up right now thinking about it because it, it was such a, a joyful, joyful space. But I also anticipated the difficulties that would come as mm. well because in my own liberation, I lost my connection to family. And I'm a very familial person. I'm a cancer. I just had my birthday, by the way. Oh, happy birthday. Um, thank you. And I care for people very deeply. I care for my mother very deeply. I care for my younger sister very deeply. And I knew that in this liberation, mm. I essentially chose 
my spiritual death to them or my physical death as well because they have not uttered words to me since um, I left in 2018. Actually, tomorrow is my anniversary of leaving, which is why I must be so emotional. So um, I'm going to try my best not to cry on this uh, this podcast, child. Um, but it's, it's still very much a, a, a visceral response that I have because if I hadn't taken that step, None of none of the the experiences that I've had, um, and I, I tie my liberation, my own personal spiritual liberation, to the liberation that I fight for for others, mm-hmm. um, no matter what intersection. And and, and I know that that's in, like truly the impetus into why I stepped into change making because I revolutionized myself and decolonized myself from religion, from uh, the patriarchy, very often in my day to day life, and in learning more, especially in leaning into texts that I would learn mm-hmm. at Fordham with my liberal arts uh, degree and like diving into different pieces of art from the eras, the ages, all of those experiences and pieces of and nuggets of knowledge through art, through uh, history, um, through the Renaissance. <laughs> I uh, uh, you know, it informed me, and I, I try and bring that into every space that I, mm. I, I occupy and I claim. This is a great segue into our last question, yes. Marla, and I am so excited to get your okay. response to this one. <laughs> if you were to describe America mm-hmm. in a word or a sentence, how would you describe America? Oh, my God. I'm going to need a sentence. <laughs> it will probably be a run-on. <laughs> but if I can describe America... <sighs> The most destructive propaganda machine rooted in imperialism that continues to bully every country into believing that they are, and this is where the spirituality can come into, that they're not worthy. That word has been coming up a lot uh, through this discussion, that they are uh, somehow inherently uh, less than because they don't have the freedom, right? The freedom that America preaches, the, the propaganda that they, they they spew. But then we have organizations like yours as hope for future, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely have hope. It's it's just a matter of making sure that people understand, understand. their collective yes. responsibility to continue to speak out about the injustices that America continues to, to cast, whether at home or abroad. Um, I feel like the abroad part has been missing. And I know for sure, because uh, I, I even believed a lot of the propaganda about my own country. That, that makes sense. <laughs> this was so good, Marla. I love it. But before we wrap up, yes. can you share information about your organization? If people want to know more about it, mm-hmm. where should they go? Of course. So you can take a visit to www.claimourspacenow.org. Um, we are a resource and a on-the-ground grassroots effort to make sure that we embolden urgent action to dismantle white supremacy and save all black lives. And we do that through our three tenets, inform, inspire, and speak truth to power. We have done a lot of grassroots initiatives, and our latest is going to be Project From, uh, across the tenets of house, housing insecurity, food insecurity, mental health, and making sure that we have an active um, presence to make sure that we were fighting against prisons. Uh, so prison abolition is that mm. final thing. So we're um, making micro grants uh, to make direct impact within the black communities. And we are very close to our goal. So <laughs> if you can donate, uh, we have all, all of our links um, on the website and you can poke around and see the work that we've done. I love it. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time you. out. Of I, I having loved me. having this conversation with you. I did too. It was equally healing and also <laughs> just like expansive. So thank you for letting me share my story um, here with you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure.